Welcome to the Eagle Naz Church Podcast. My name is Bree, and thanks for joining us. We hope that the next 30 minutes helps you grow in your relationship with Jesus, and that you will see how God wants to move in your life. Thanks for listening. Our why informs our what. Our why informs our what. Well, when your why is all about the fact that Jesus has called us to love people to himself, it changes the way we live our lives. Amen? Today we get to step into a passage with the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul is dealing with a church that is divided. There's the, the Jewish church who loved the first half of what we know as our Bible. They were the, the law keepers and the, the custodians of the flame of God, so to speak. And they bumped into the Greek church, the Gentiles, who were brand new. They'd been listening to the apostles, and they'd heard about a brand new message that wasn't centered in the law. And they, they were in this divided world know anything about divided world? I read an article recently that said we're known now as the nation divided. That we used to be divided, but now it's like somebody put gas on it and lit it on fire. But there's a a place in which we don't have to be defined by that which divides us. We can be defined by the love of Jesus Christ that instructs us on how to win the world to him. The Apostle Paul wasn't called that at first. He was a a religious rabbi who was so impassioned against the cause of Christ and Christians that he literally went around the region arresting Christians, having them thrown in jail, women and children separated from their families. And if he was fortunate enough He would be that one that would see Christians executed because he was that hostile to their frame of reference. The Apostle Paul, it says in Acts, was holding the garments when they killed a Christian named Stephen, the first martyr of the church. And Jesus Christ met him on a road one day and changed him so radically and moved his heart and made him different that he became a different person. And he became the man who writes this letter to the church at Ephesus to say it doesn't have to be that way, and here's why. We get to study about Ephesus for a moment. Ephesus was a, a, as much a Roman city as you could be without being in Rome. They were known as um, the, the extremely wealthy people, an incredible trade center, and they were defined by the incredible statues that they had around the city. You could go in the Appian Way where Mark Anthony and Cleopatra had come in from the ocean to a massive theater that that seats 25,000 people. To this day, you can stand at the top of the theater and speak, and they can hear you at the bottom. No theater holds the whole population. So think about it. If it's even 10% of the population, it's a city of 250,000 people with a library and statues, and they're defined by what they see as perfection in the gods. 
Our view of God has an incredible impact about the way we live our lives after all. And, and so when they see the statues of the gods, they see that the human body is to be worshiped as it becomes like the gods. And so they're all about outward perfection. We can never imagine a society that's all caught up in outward perfection, can we? And so they, they have these, um, these divisions in their culture, haves and have-nots, beautiful people and not-so-beautiful people, uh, religious people and not-religious people, Christian and not-Christian, Jewish and not-Jewish. Uh, their their hang-up about outward perfection was so great that, that they would take their, their babies that were born, and if there was a blemish, uh, maybe a birthmark that they saw as in, inappropriate, uh, certainly a deformity, they would take that child if they wanted to, and they would just either throw that child in the river, or they would leave it exposed where slave traders could come by and take it, or Christians might come by and receive it. Imagine a child picked up in the loving arms of a Christian and raised in the context of that culture versus the Ephesian culture. And Paul, writing to this group of people who, who are tempted to buy into their culture and be defined by their differences, uh, he, he says, let's not do that. Let's be a people who understand that Jesus Christ is the great reconciler of relationships, and let's be a people defined by who we're for instead of what we're against. And so in his letter to the Ephesians, he begins to, to talk about that, what that looks like. Can we agree that our world desperately longs for unity, even at the point that we're terribly divided? And we see bullying in schools and terrorism that goes on and disagreements about all facets of life, and yet our hearts long to be unified with each other and with God and with the greater world. Amen? And so Paul answers that question. He talks about the why is that we're called to love people to Jesus, and here's what it's going to look like. And we get to live into that today. So let's stand on our feet as we look at the passage this morning, Ephesians chapter 2, beginning with verse 14. For uh, he himself, this means Jesus, he is our peace. That word, by the way, means a lack of rage a lack of hostility. He is our peace who has made both of us one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in the place of two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off, peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. You may be seated. So, so here's the why. The, the big why of this passage that will inform our what is that Jesus wants to reconcile us to the Father. I could say that again. Maybe you didn't hear Jesus wants to reconcile us to the Father. He wants us to be connected to the Father. 
He knows that our relationships have been fractured by sin. Our lives have been separated, and he wants to bring us together. He, so he wants to be the one who reconciles us, verse 16, for we were estranged from God. In fact, the word for those who are estranged is alien, not the, the Martian flying ships kind of thing. This means a, a, a stranger to the land. There's a difference. If we see a picture of uh, aliens right now, of of people wanting to come in, it shows you there's a vast difference between being a citizen and being an alien. You know what I'm saying? There's a, there's a want and an ache for an alien. There's a, a want and a desire. There's, 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 there's something so powerful about the picture that we see. There's a difference in the food and the accessibility and, and the, the goodness that people want who want to be a citizen. Jesus wants every heart to be a citizen at home with him. He wants to reconcile us. He wants to make us not strangers to one another. He, he wants to, to bring us together. And he says, and that looks like people without hope. He said that, that life without Jesus Christ is a hopeless kind of life. We can see hopeless when we look at that picture. We can think about hopeless when we talk about Kenya where they don't have clean water, they don't have education. Like you prayed for this morning, Caleb, you could see in your mind as we were praying about Kenya, people who need medicine, people who need uh, aid so that they can become students in a high school, that that's a great privilege to go to school. We, we could see that there's people who need medical attention. We have that, but that's, it's, it's like that when you're an alien and you don't have those things that we can take, we can know Jesus for so long in our, our lives that we forget the advantage of what it means to be a Jesus follower. And, and as Paul talks about this, he says, Jesus wants us to be a people who have hope, that he wants every single one of his children to be at home with him. No exceptions. I was reading about a little boy this week named Raphael, and, and he, Raphael Anya was um, coming to school every day with a language barrier and sitting alone. And this little girl, 10 years old, named Amanda, she saw that Raphael was alone, but she didn't know the language, and so she couldn't get through to him that she was willing to be a friend, but somehow, so she went home to her mom, and she said, I want to send a boy at school a note, would that be okay? And mom perked up right away. She said, this boy's sitting alone, and I want to welcome him in, and so I'm going to write him a note, but I don't know Spanish, so I've looked up all the words, and so the note basically says that, that uh, if you'll find me in the lunchroom, I want to sit with you, and we can tell stories, and we can just enjoy our time together. And so uh, mom said yes, but then she snuck around the cafeteria corner and looked on as the note was passed. And Raphael and Amanda found each other and sat together. And what Amanda couldn't know is that every single day he was going home, Raphael was going home to mom and dad and say, I want to go back to Mexico. I'm miserable. Nobody here cares about me. And they became friends and they spent time together. They were trick-or-treating one, one Halloween together and they bumped into each other and realized they already lived in the same neighborhood without knowing it. They decided subsequently that other people needed this so that they would, they would have a, a let's meet lonely hearts together kind of club, and they just invited lonely kids to sit together as a group. And, and they set a goal that they would become bilingual within one year. And so now they're both in the process of learning each other's language. Amanda was given the Student of the Year Award 
for what she did for Raphael, and she said, I don't understand. Shouldn't everybody do what I do without getting an award? And I thought about this, this fact that the why of Jesus' call to us is that it should be, shouldn't it, completely natural for us to lo so love people that they want the Jesus that they see in us. Anybody with me? Melody uh, is, I'm just gonna say, I'm not biased, but I believe she's the best school teacher I ever met. You'll forgive me if I overstated that in any way, you school teachers. I get a brag on my honey. I, I remember she would work with kids that would come in her class. She might have uh, boys that were fighting and, and she would uh, get them together and say, you're gonna go play out in the playground together until you like each other. So it can be long or it can be short. You gonna like each other? Yes, Mrs. Bond. She did that with so many situations. Some girls were getting catty with each other. I don't know why girls would ever do that. They were just at each other and she brought them together and said, we're not gonna do that in my classroom, are we? No, Mrs. Bond. As the year goes on, Melody noticed that her students were changing and one year it was a Christmas program and she looked in and she noticed that one of the boys had forgotten his belt, sash for his uniform, for his costume, whatever it was, and he was really embarrassed, and he started talking to the other kids about, oh no, what am I gonna do? I don't have this. And before he knew it, the other kids in Mrs. Bunn's class started taking their sash off and putting it aside. Because they'd rather all look stupid together than have one look stupid alone. Good. I get excited when I think about a church where everybody look, rather look stupid together than have anybody look stupid alone. I, I get excited about a church where certainly we have our beliefs and our understandings and those are non-compromised, but when we go into the office, people love to have us there because they love the Jesus they see in us. I, I just believe that we can, we can understand the why so much that God's love is so powerful and so meaningful and it's so transformative that we can go into a situation and it can light up the room. And that's what Paul the Apostle says. He says, oh, look, we can be a people of hope and that happens in one body. Jesus Christ so loved us that he destroys hostility. He so cares about us that he breaks down dividing walls. He is so amazing that he transforms hostility into love. There might be somebody today who doesn't know Jesus Christ that walked in these doors. And can I tell you, you're missing out on the greatest relationship you will ever know. That Jesus Christ loves your heart so well and he loves you so much that there's nothing that he won't do and has already done to show you his love for you. He loves you incredibly. And if you haven't asked Jesus Christ in your heart, do it now. Just do it now, don't wait. Just say, Jesus, come into my heart, take away my bad choices, and I wanna live with you because I want the greatest relationship that I've never known. And if you want somebody to pray with you and help you with that, the prayer room's open during the service. Um, also, what Paul says about what this does in us, it, it takes away hostility. He says Jesus is capable, you know, you know what hostility looks like? It's like you walk into the coffee shop and they're there and you wanna turn and go the other way. It's like um, you're thinking about the next fight with your spouse because they're formulating the argument. Anybody been there? No, yeah, nobody but me. Okay, well, so there you go. 
The great word that, that Paul gives us is that these, these Jews who were staunch on the rules that you had to follow and these Gentiles who were so against the rules that God could somehow come in and he could make it, make it not about the rules anymore. That God could come in and he could make it all about the relationship now. That God could come in and he could destroy hostility. And if, you're, if you've got hostility in your heart, my guess is that it's killing you and you need to be killing it. That what the scripture says is that Jesus, by his death on the cross, they were spitting at him when he was on the cross. They had beaten him beyond recognition, literally, and he, he just poured out love. And not in our own strength, but by the power of Jesus in us, we can give a death blow to hostility in our lives. Oh. And he says that's, that's what can happen, that we can be reconciled and that we can have peace through Jesus for he himself is our peace. He is the source of our peace. And that's the why. Ephesians 2.10 says that we are God's workmanship, prepared in advance to do good works. What are those good works? Those good works are loving people into a relationship with Jesus Christ and sending that love beyond our walls. Our life purpose is to love as many people to Jesus as we possibly can. Did you think that your job was to be the best teacher in the world? Did you have the mistaken identity that your, your job was to be the best tech guy in the world? Or the best stay-at-home mom? Or, or, or the best business guy? No, no, no. Our life purpose, the reason we take in air that God gives us every day, is to love as many people to Jesus as we possibly can before we reach heaven so that they can know the power and the might and the joy of a reconciled relationship with Jesus Christ. Everything we do ought to be instructed by that wonderful reality of purpose in our lives. That's the why. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever believes in him might have eternal life. This life is a speck. I guess that would be a click of the fingers. This life is a click of the fingers. It's so small in light of eternity. And God wants to get all of his children home and he wants to reconcile us while we're here. So <clears throat> that was the why. Here comes the what. So what are we going to do with that? What's it going to look like? And in verse 19, Paul goes and, and talks to the, in this letter to the church about what that's going to look like in their life. So verse 19, so then... You are no longer strangers and aliens. Okay, like that was good. So that you are no longer strangers and aliens. You're not that anymore. You're not out. You're not in. There's none of that division anymore. Uh, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the households of God. You're, you're family. You're now members of the... It's oikos. That's not Greek yogurt. It's like you are family. We're together. We're, we're one in the power of Christ. We've been made different. <coughs> he says, um, you're built on the foundation of the apostles, the declaration of the good news, and of the prophets, the old that was given. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure is being joined together, 
grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by spirit. Did you hear that? A dwelling place for who? Okay, like take a big breath and go. <gasps> that was so sad, Zach. Let's do it. <gasps> Did you catch it? A dwelling place for who? God himself. So I want to I unpack with you that what, what this household looks like, five characteristics. We are citizens instead of aliens. We're in instead of out. We are God's loved children. We get the benefits and the blessing of not being on the outside, but being on the inside. We get to be his kids. And can I just tell you, God is crazy about all his kids. He's not just crazy about his kids who are in this building. Anybody have a kid away from you right now? Anybody have a kid that's away from God right now? Do you worry less about them than your kids that are with God or more? I could just give you a little thesis here. I think Jesus cares more about his kids that are out than his kids that are in. In fact, when he talks about his in and out kids, he says there were 99 sheep that were lost and one little lamb went away and the shepherd left the 99 and went to them. Why? Not because he didn't care about the 99, but because he cares more about the one that's gone because the 99 are okay. Don't ask me to say that over. It was enough work to get there. And so we're citizens instead of aliens. We're built on a firm foundation instead of shaky ground. Verse 20, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ himself being the cornerstone. We have this faith that is built on God's word and his power, the Old Testament, the New Testament, the declared word of the gospel. We have that. We have this incredible foundation in Jesus Christ. And it says next that the third characteristic is that we recognize Jesus as the cornerstone. A cornerstone was this, this large, larger than all the other stones. It was one they would put in a building and their way of keeping the whole building straight in either direction and going up was this perfectly square, large, heavy cornerstone that couldn't be moved. And it was that which made everything else work, meaning we build our life on Jesus Christ. We live like him and we love like him and we care like him and we transform the world like him that Jesus calls us to lay our lives upon the work and the power and the forgiveness and the love and the goodness of Jesus and to live like him. And when we ask the Holy Spirit to come into our lives and, and to move in a powerful way, he works in a powerful way to build his, his kingdom through each of us. Jesus is the one we recognize as the cornerstone. Uh, the, the fourth one that we see in verse 21 is that we are a holy temple. And, and the way it talks about that. We are a holy temple in which God dwells in community. He dwells in community. I, I love this part of the, the message. God dwells in us. The, the, the way it worked was that God came to a people and he said, mankind is messed up. I want to get a holy people that will, will love me and be, live a holy life and be a light to the people that don't know him. And then he makes a covenant with, with Abraham and then he has Moses build a tabernacle, and in that, that box is a, a budding staff of Aaron and the, the, the tablets with the law and manna that represents, and they all represent who? Jesus, and they carry around that box, and, and God just shows up wherever the box is, and battles are won and all kinds of stuff, and then they put the box in a tabernacle, and people do worship, and they do sacrifice, and they say, oh, God is here. This is really cool. Isn't this cool? This tabernacle, God is here. 
And then they stop their wandering and they go to this place called Jerusalem where the enemy has been taken out. And there they build a temple and they do sacrifices and they put the ark in the very middle of it all and they worship and they say, oh, God is here. And then Jesus comes along and he dies on the cross and the veil breaks in the temple. It's as high as the ceiling and a, thick, a foot thick wide. And all of a sudden, uh, he, the temple is torn down and, and at Pentecost, the Holy Spirit comes and, and the, the Spirit of God is poured out where? Come on, where is it? On God's people in us. And where does the Spirit of God then reside? In us, the spirit of the living God resides in us. Every one of us who believe in Jesus Christ and call on him for our salvation, his spirit comes in and he resides in us and he works in us and he breathes through us. And, and, and I love the way that the buildings were, were being built in, in the day that Paul is talking about this because they would take stones of all sizes and colors and they would put them together and archaeologists tell us that they're still standing because it, it wasn't the big stone that was valuable or the little stone that was valuable. It was all the stones put together perfectly, chiseled, formed, worked around just the right way so they fit together. And that's us, that we're the building. But then he goes further and he said, but you are the temple as you walk around. I, I, I think about standing on a, a large mountain and looking over the, the church looking over our lives and there's a school teacher and there's light emanating from that school teacher that's almost as good as my melody. There's the businessman who in his business ethics is absolutely pristine no matter what happens, no matter what the other person does, no matter what, if it costs him a dollar or not. He, he is so true to Jesus that people look at him and they go, there's something different about that business guy. There's some guy running for political office and he just, he won't compromise, he won't make himself what he's not. And all of a sudden, they say there's something different about that guy. There's that stay-at-home mom or that lady who's fighting cancer or that person. And, and when you bump into them, you just feel like you bumped into goodness. You bump into them and you go, how come junk comes out of other people, but I bump into them and, and it's like I just want to be around them. They're sticky like jam and they're good like honey and, and they just... They're light. Why? Because you, we are being built into a holy temple that's across every little hamlet in the land and every part of humanity and we have the heartbeat of God and we are reconcilers. Paul says we are given the ministry of reconciliation so that the world becomes more unified and less divided and the church is that one place where we can come and find out that it's like a hospital. In, in, in fact, the, the last part of that, that chapter says in verse 21, we are, we are God's building site, or you could say God's construction zone. Hey, if you go out to the east side entrance, by the way, any, how many of you have been there? Oh, this is so sad, Zach. You guys have to go out there and just drive around, but watch out, there's nails there. You might get a flat tire. Maybe you should walk there. And it's not finished yet. Uh, because what, what Paul says is that we're a construction zone. It's like a hospital. People come in sick and they get better. And then more people come in sick and more people get better. And if you come to a church and it's perfect, you better leave because you're going to ruin it. <laughs> because we're under construction. 
And God's working on us, and he's shaping us, and he's, rub, he's taking off the rough edges, and he's putting us together, and nobody's big and nobody's small. Everybody fits together because we are the church. And I was blown away as I read this passage because I thought Jesus talks about the church as his body. I don't know about you, but he calls himself the head. I'm very attached to mine. And, and, and it becomes very personal to me if somebody says, I think I'll, I'll unattach your head. You wouldn't mind, would you? No, the, the, the body of who? We are the body of Jesus Christ. And then the next description that we see is that we are the household of faith. We are the family. And I loved having Steve Carter in Melody's in my home. And, and when he came into the home, it was like we just, it's like a breath of fresh air came in. And this guy that I didn't know, we just got to talk and find out how much we had in common and how much he loves Jesus. And before two days were done, it was like, ah, oh, man, do we really have to say goodbye? And I left just, you all got to hear him publicly, but privately my heart was just full because of the man. And that's the other picture of the church, that when people bump into us, they, they go, do you really have to go? Are you really sure we couldn't hang out a little more? Could we eat a little more good stuff together? And then the, the, the last picture that we see when, when John is isolated and he's just so sad that he can't be with the body of Christ and Jesus comes to him and gives him a vision of his church and no doubt John was so discouraged at that point, he calls it his bride. <laughs> Jesus calls us his bride. Jesus calls us. We're his bride. We're his endeared one. We're the ones that he would give anything for and did and does. And he says, now, now that you know the why, here's what I want you to do and who I want you to be. And so I imagine as we think about this passage, Steve Carter said, every person you know is just one prayer away from joining God's radically all-inclusive community that enjoys fellowship with the Father, Son, and the Spirit. The worst alcoholic you know is one prayer away. The angriest person that you know is just one prayer away. The biggest control freak in your community is just one prayer away. The most dangerous criminal in your city is just one prayer away. As the band comes and, and gets ready for us to, to close our service, how many of you were not here Tuesday? Tuesday night, Steve Carter was sharing. So many of us. Tuesday night, we had the opportunity <coughs> to hear an amazing message. I hope you can go back and listen to it. But Steve Carter said, hey, I have, I have a exercise for you. I'd like you, if you're willing, to just come up and fill out a post-it, and as the band is playing and as we're singing, I'd like you to write down the names of some people that you know that Jesus might want to reconcile to himself. Isn't that great? And people just started coming up like, like ants on an anthill. It's so awesome, right? And they just started putting names up there, and I get so encouraged because I think, what would happen if God moved on all these people because they were all of his heart and, and over the next days and months and even years, sometimes it takes years, 
that God would move on these people's hearts and we'd go back and say, hey, I was praying for you on that Sunday and on November and it, it was early in the month and I remember the pastor gave a message and he asked us to come up and I put your name on the card. And every time the Holy Spirit brought you to mind, I faithfully prayed for you. And I'm so glad that you've come to know Jesus Christ and I just want you to know you mean so much to me. And that person goes out and chases, touches another person. And I just believe that God would love to start a radically powerful movement right here at Eagle Naz. Amen? Yeah. And so these cards are here for you, these post-its. If you did this Tuesday and you want to write more, you can do that. Or you can just bask in the joy of the moment and praise God. But if you haven't had the chance to put a post-it note on these walls as we celebrate this Invitational Life series, I just invite you to come on up right on the cards right now, go up and post it, and by posting them, you say, I'm in, I'm in. I'm going to love people into a relationship with Jesus and send that love beyond our wall. I'm in Jesus being defined who we're for instead of what we're against. I'm in Jesus. So the altars are open, come on up, fill out a card, and let's enjoy as we sing together.